Zen has been summed up in four statements. A direct transmission outside scriptures and apart from tradition. No dependence on words and letters. Direct pointing to the human mind and seeing into one's own nature and becoming Buddha. Thank you for joining us tonight. This is the Yamanote Tech and Society podcast. My name is Chris. Today, uh, well, actually, each week we try to, you know, bring some of the information about building a business online, how to work remotely <laughs> compared to how we usually work in, you know, for the last century or so. Um, we also try to go ahead and get people who are also entrepreneurs to work together um, on solving problems such as, you know, starting a business, taking things that you're actually good at and turning it into making or earning a living, understanding on how the internet works and how web development will play a crucial part in how your business will grow. Uh, my name is Chris and I will be your host and I hope that uh, you are, you know, having a good time because right now we're at a time in our um, society where we are all going to be, you know, living in our houses for a while. So I don't want to really make that a big topic for the, the, the talk. You know, uh, if you are listening to us on the podcast, um, you will basically, you know, be able to kind of keep, you know, have the latest information that's going on. But for right now, live, um, we are, you know, dealing with, you know, or coping with the situation that we might have to live, you know, working remotely or finding ways to build, you know, some sort of like entertainment while you're in home. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see how it works out. Um, so we got a good show for you tonight. Um, I'm going to be continuing the rest of the interview between me and Aaron Tokunaga. Uh, Aaron Tokunaga is a entrepreneur, translator. He also played a part in the 100 Yen, the movie uh, about Japanese arcade experiences. He also works as a contract. Well, he actually, he works as he has contracts for several contracts with Japanese companies, including like Itachi, Epson, and Konami. And we, we, we took off about, you know, talking about building a, um, you know, talking with uh, people who are looking to build a business online, how they actually would turn it into, you know, making money, connect, working with people. Um, and it was a really great information, really, really great um, talk. I mean, it, it took a while to get a lot of the, out of the information we wanted out, but we were able to, you know, to have a lot of things, you know, to talk about. And I just want to basically, you know, once again, thank Aaron for taking the time to talk with me. Um, it's great to be able to, one, you know, to, I grew up, you know, playing, not really, I grew up, I mean, like, I'm probably back in 2003 or 2004, um, you know, he was really popular playing DDR and I just watched them playing video with him and a few of his friends, Taki and Yasu and his website, Aaron in Japan JP is, was one of the staples to, you know, learning the latest about people completing some of the, the, uh, the DDR game. So if you, if you want to check it out, 
you can go to Aaron in J- Aaron in dot JP, or you know some of the there's a lot of different uh, areas. I, I might I'll probably leave links here and there about where things are, but you know it's kind of like a childhood memory, you know, and being in the power of the internet allows us to connect with, you know, people that we wouldn't necessarily connect with. So I really do appreciate that. And I'm going to try to make sure that I, uh, um, everybody know as much as I possibly can. So we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, uh, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and like talk a little bit about what's going to happen for the interview. And then I will go ahead and talk a little bit about um, some of the things that I, I was trying to talk about in the newsletter. I always try to do that for my um, email list. If you're interested in being a part of the email list, you know, send me an email at ksamuel, K-S-A-M-U-E-L dot chris at gmail.com. You know, saying email newsletter requests, and then I'll, I'll add your newsletter. Um, every week between Monday and Wednesday, I will basically give a newsletter that basically keeps people interested in keep people up to date with some of the things I'm learning, um, some of the cool ideas or anything I'm talking about. Like, for instance, like uh, learning how to get a free Google Assistant for your house so you can basically keep track of some of the things that's going on. Um, utilizing the Internet. And the uh, it's like an Echo Dot, you know, Echo, uh, Amazon Echo Dot, but it's a Google version. And uh, we'll be right back. We're discussing hundred yen. Oh yes, we're talking about that. Yeah. So if you want to go into that, yeah. So talk about let's let's just talk about the the, the documentary. You could talk a little bit about it. How you okay. gotten interviewed for it, and um, 
where people can find it if they wanted to look for it themselves? Well, uh, to get a copy of the video is a good trick. You're going to have to contact uh, the director or uh, go through 100 Yen Film to try and buy it. Um, it's on various streaming services, however. You can get it through uh, Amazon Video, I think. You can get it through iTunes. Amazon, Amazon, the PlayStation Store. PlayStation Video has it as well, I think, abroad. In the U.S. and Canada, it does. It, I don't have it here. Got it. There may be a few other places you can get it as well. I think the actual site, 100yenfilm.com, has a list of the places you can get it. Um, there is a YouTube rip of it as well. I advise against that unless there's no other alternative for one reason only, and that is because half the movie is in English and half the movie is in Japanese. And if you don't have any subtitles, you're only going to understand 50% of the movie. Got it. So yeah. I will definitely leave the Amazon, iTunes, and PlayStation Store links as a reference to it. Okay. Yeah, the link, from the main site, I think they have the links. You can probably copy-paste those. And if you That'll be perfect. Them in, yeah. That's fine. Um, they came, actually, the, the history of that is they came to me from, uh, who did the directors contacted Kotaku first. They wanted to talk about uh, the. Uh, they want to talk about uh, the history of arcades and things like that. Uh, Brian Ashcraft, the guy at uh, Kotaku, who's um, more known for his enthusiasm than his writing ability, has. Uh, well, he knew about me because he would regularly link to me my site and everything like that. I became synonymous with music games uh, in Japan with him anyway, so I would always be flagged or linked, even if I had nothing to do with the content itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that kind of name recognition got around. And uh, from there, I was contacted eventually, and it was uh, it was an interesting experience because they were looking for people to represent different types of games, different genres, and they had some developers as well, but they wanted some players as well that could discuss this. Um, and at the time, it was very clear in Japan, uh, I don't think there was anybody that they would have gone to that would have been my equal on that same position, not in terms of like skill of the game or anything like that, but... Uh, just in general, just having that link between like the West and the East, the communities and everything like that, uh, as well as the ability to understand both languages anyway, that definitely helped. And being able to pull out random players from Japan and get them as they need it. Uh, so, yeah, that was my link to it as well. They wanted to discuss the arcades. Uh, the music games are a big part of why arcades are kind of still there, because they're unique in design, and you can only get that experience from an arcade mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, because people just don't have room in their house for the city, some of these huge cabinets. Right. And they won't sell it to you anyway here, but that's another story. Um, Astrocabs I have seen. I've seen people with little tiny Astrocabs, and they have those in their one-room apartments, and things like I've seen those. Those are those pretty cute. I was thinking of getting one some year, but that's another story. Uh, but yeah, using all the years of uh, contacts and knowledge and experience uh, that I had before, it was pretty easy to fill out their interview, uh, which was fine. That's great. Uh, I had to be very careful, though, because there was a published work before that, uh, which I have a book for, which was Arcade Mania, published through uh, Kodansha Press. Oh, is uh, it a book on, written? Hold on, hold on. I actually have the book right over here. I oh, here. awesome. Oh, okay, great. All right, I'll just pull out a whole bunch from my library. Fortunately, the basement has books. So, Is there a link for people to purchase that somewhere? That's a good thing. Amazon had it, but they don't have any more in stock, I don't think, so I'm not sure where you're going to get it. Check on Amazon first. You'll probably find somebody that'll do it there. Is there a Kindle app? Arcade Mania. Okay. I think I've seen this before then. Yeah. Okay. It's Brian Ashcraft's book. That's Brian Ashcraft's book. Ah, okay. I thought that was your book. Are you going to write a book? I wrote a book, too. I wrote two books, actually. I have have one here. I don't 
have the 2013 edition. I have my accounting uh, combos book. Combos. It was the history of DDR and everything like awesome. that. Awesome. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And that's, that's, on, not, that's on Amazon. It's not on, your, on it's on your site, though. Um, however, I, if you really ask me nicely, I'll just give you a copy of the PDF for free if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would I would be very grateful for that. I just want to make sure that I have it available in the podcast okay. for you that, you know. All right. So, yeah, I wrote the original in about 2011, I think. Then I made a 2013 update because there were a few changes that I needed to make. Um, afterwards, I've been meaning to write an update, but I haven't had it yet. And now it's 2020. It's like seven years since that. I've got quite a bit to add. Um, the problem is I think it's less about the Japanese community in the game, and it's more more about the international game and the community. Right. It's because Japan by itself is actually not as interesting as what's happening as the rest of the world like that. And within Konami as well, you have the departure of various artists and staff, a bunch of other not-so-happy things as well. So to get into a few years of some pretty depressing stuff uh, in a time where the international community is expanding, I don't want to darken the tone of the book, basically, like that, because it still has to be a bit upbeat. And uh, I could go on to some things like the Konami Arcade Championships as well, and that's great because we have our international heroes and everybody loves Chris Chaik, and that's great. But uh, at the same point, by the same token as well, you look at that and say, okay, well, what about the top Japanese players? Like, it's the same people year after year after year. You have new players that are just hiding out there. They don't want to go for the highest scores. They can't do it or whatever not. And it's kind of a – I'm not going to say it's a divide between the communities. Like, there's still – is a community, but it's not as tightly knit as it once was. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to dive into both elements of that, and it's there's still friendship between that. There's still mutuality and all that, but it's not quite the same as what it was. Would you so be training anybody? Like, would you train people to like become the best? You know, like oh, train people. I'm, I'm, hard, I'm hardly qualified to train people to be the best anymore. But uh, there <laughs> Why are. Why is not? Players. I mean, like Nick has you know trained Rocky back in the movie. If you want to just make an example, you know, I mean, uh, I like yeah. knowledge. Is this knowledge? It's not really about oh, skills. Oh, that's true. Well, those who can't do teach type of thing, I've heard that. But uh, the uh, there are local players that I play with as well. Um, the biggest thing that they're always shocked about is because I don't say anything usually. Like, would they play, like, I'm used to some playing, like, light no mode or some standard difficulty, and, like, okay, they do their thing, whatever, they go back. I say, all right, but I'm not working on that. I'm working on trying to get an all-perfect on, like, some boss song. I'm trying to get, like, a 15 or something like that, which, mm-hmm. to them, anyway, to, like, the top players in America, that's nothing. But to, like, the ones over here, that's really another level of play and like, they're not aware of that so they see me trying to go for that and it just their jaw drops and they're going okay well how can i do that what can i do and so we'll play a little bit together like we'll work on their timing a little bit on the easier stuff go from there right. i can't push them to the hardest end because i'm not the greatest teacher on that anyway but get them on the right start anyway right. and uh that's that's always nice to see as well, seeing them take off from there and uh, explore their own thing. They don't always stick with the game or they'll fall back or they'll stick only to the light mode difficulties, but it's something as well. Um, the biggest thing that shocks them about them is usually my age because they're not prepared for that. They think, oh, I'm 30 or something like that. Say, oh, no, I'm 43. I actually turned 44 this year. And they just this shocks them because it's not just uh, it's not really a physical appearance like if you catch me on a really cold day I look like I'm all shriveled up and 70 years old but I mean, but just playing the game as well they're not used to seeing that it's not a familiar sight because a lot of people that go to these arcades like 20s maybe might see some early 30s like that but see people much older than that I do play with a few people that are much older but they tend to hide out in the corner they don't play like the dancing games or they're playing the Mahjong in the corner or they're playing some of the card games or the, even the idle games things like that so, so, it's a, so you wouldn't necessarily Consider like providing any type of like maybe sort of like video 
you know, where... The instructional bits. Yeah, I thought I was basically thinking... Well, I, I don't know about Billy's Boot Camp or anything like that. Um, I wrote more about the community of the, uh, of the well, the DDR community. There are some basic um, tactics and strategies you can use to try and start from the beginning and go on there. I don't know if anything I could say would be totally unique in that sense. And there are actually performance guides. There are DDR assistance books that were made in Japan. Uh, the information in it is largely outdated. Uh, it's very novel, I'll give it that. Not just Konami Press, but there are some other ones. ASCII Press made a book as well, the DDR Performance Guide, which, again, I actually have right over here. I should just pull that down. Yeah. Uh, you, you, I mean, being in America... Okay, let's see if I got it here. All right, this thing is actually pretty big. Uh, there it is. Wow. Okay. And that's a and and that's, in that the book, like pretty... Uh, in the book, it has everything in first mix, which is not a lot, but <laughs> it has performance. It has performance guides and how to step and do all of the patterns in there, like how to move and everything mm-hmm. like that, as well as liven up the performance. And some of that is probably pretty lame if you try to do that today. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, uh, it's hard to explain, but yeah. And there's well, few, no, I mean like, that sounds really great to kind of to know because you know that there's minimal. I don't even think there's that much like books in America. Mm-hmm. One like playing DDR, you know, but it would be great to understand, like, there is something like that. Maybe you could translate. Well, that's one thing I've been doing, too. I've been translating some of these old Bimani books as well, um, including the Pia book, which was released only a few years ago. I got Mm -hmm. about half of that done. Uh, It's... I have to say about that. It's uh, it's a challenge. I'll give you that. It's a lot to do because if it's on a PC, I can very quickly like you know work on sections of a text at a time. But to actually sit there and read the thing mainly and then I type it out normally like that, it takes a long time. Um, Did you hire also, a, like a VA to, to help you like, type that out or something because that way you mm, yeah I have to I have to type it out and things like that. It's it's okay. It all takes time. The way I translate things is very it doesn't meld well with some other translators and what they do too, especially when it comes to game translation. So I have done two games. Um, actually, I've done two translations informally and two formally. So my pet projects are the ones uh, that I've done with the uh, GBA Temp community online. There's a site, GBA Temp. I don't know why it's GBA Game Boy Advance, but it's okay. a, a gaming, it's a general gaming and translation, ROM hacking community, you know, gray zone stuff. But um, I did a few translation projects. Um, everyone thought it was nuts for taking it on the first time, but uh, there was one. For, there was two games for the Nintendo DS. One was uh, the second Retro Game Challenge, Retro Game Challenge Two. I did that. I was the project leader for that and finished it. I did most of that myself. Um, I believe the patch you can download it from ROMHacking.net, but I have a version that's actually more recent than the last patch on there, which fixes a few text centering issues, but most of the rest is the same. And another one, which is Blood of Bahamut, which is a weird Square Enix game which you use the stylus and you tap on giant like shadow of the colossus type of things so like tap bits of them it's some people really love it some people really hate it it's very artistic but it's divisive but anyway i did that and the problem was i usually work best on my own when translating that stuff because uh when working with other people i find it really hard to coordinate with them because i'm doing something and i'm not on the same wavelength as them, or they haven't, they're working a different schedule or a different plan than I'm doing. Got it. Or just the way they set up the base or how they say, oh, we do it this way, and I don't do it this way. That's not, I can't work that way. Because I, I was asked to help with one of the uh, Digimon games. I can't remember which one now, Lost Odyssey or whatever it was. There was one of the ones that was not released. And they gave me the file to uh, look at. It's all in Japanese. And they did something which, to me, was just the most annoying thing. And it's like, they have all the characters written out, but after every kanji compound, they put 
like brackets, and then they put the reading of it within that. I said, well, that would be nice if I didn't know how to read the characters, I guess, but it makes the whole thing really hard and slow to read like that. Can you give me a version and just strip it out? And I said, why would you do that? You can't do that. And I said, I'll just write a Perl script, and then boom, write it out there. Okay, now I can work with it. <laughs> they did not appreciate that. They did not appreciate that. That did not go over well. Um, but yeah, the only other, uh, the other professional translations, I guess that would be Rerave. I did the Japanese version of the arcade version, which only saw a test location release here, so I, very few people actually ever saw it. Um, the only other one there, it's not really a translation issue, it's more of, I was doing technical work with them, and that would have been, I guess you could say, it was called, what was it called? Blood and Truth in the West. In Japan, it was called Ryan Max, the Escape of Ryan Max or Revenge of Ryan's Max, sorry. Uh, that was a VR game as well. Well, I, that was through Sony London. I was doing that, and it wasn't the translation. It was more of the um, physics and the real-world elements as well, too. We were discussing a few things with that more than translation, but I did that as well. Um, my other, I guess I should never forget it, my big translation product, which people might know me for, is uh, Chaos Rings 3. Chaos and Rings 3, and um, this is a game that is in Japan, it's, right? Uh, Japan, right. There is an English version. English version actually surprisingly is on iOS and Android as far as I know. It's still there. The old ones no longer are supported under the current uh, OS, and so 1, 2, and Alpha are no longer available except on PlayStation Vita. If you own a Vita, you can still download them today, uh, including the third one. So that was my big piece of fame. Also, the uh, website uh, was I contributed to as well. That was the Chaos Strings 3 website. I'm not sure if it's up at all. It was like 100% Flash, so who knows if it runs anymore. Um, but yeah, that was the big one. I was working through Media, Media Vision at the time, and uh, they were contracted through uh, Square Enix, and it was a very indirect kind of contract, but it was a good experience. I kind of enjoyed doing that. Uh, I played through my own game. I had to finish my own game at least just to see how it ends, so got to do that, but I don't play through everything that I do all the time. So. But, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's... That, that, but, yeah, you, I kind of got off topic with translation there, but no, yeah, I've been doing the Bamani, yeah. but I've been doing the Bamani ones too. The problem is I don't also I don't get paid for any of this stuff too. Like I get donations mm-hmm. once in a while, so I don't mind doing it like for personal interest and things like that because some of it's really interesting to me as well. But people say, oh, can you do like uh, the Beatmania 2DX, like some press mix, obscure thing like that? Says so okay, but that's going to take me a while. Um, how long have you got? Are you sure you want me to do this and like that? It's kind of low on my priority list, and like you get people like constantly hammering to like do this. It's got to be. Like Seriously, for free? Yeah, some people are pressuring for that. Um, <laughs> some things, some things are pretty fast. Like YouTube videos or rips of things. Like there's a few Beat Mania videos, like uh, guides and things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't mind doing the subtitles for that. So that was a fun pet project as well. When you um, say do the subtitles, think, when you, you mean that the, the in the Beat Mania, the the uh, the video the, the video that plays while your person is playing that video. And it's not just no, it's not that. It's like an uh, it's like a documentary, if you will, a guide on uh, 2DX and Beat. Mania. It's a little bit of a history, a bit of about the game itself, a play guide as well as some elements of the game, an introduction to that. So it's a general type of introduction video. Some of that needed subtitles. Uh, okay, that's fine. I can do that. That's actually pretty easy to do. Like a book is really huge, but a video, I only have to do one stream of text at a time. It's not so bad. Um, and again, why I, is that? Like why? Why? Why would you? Um, that, that that seems to be like a really um, that's a really like a very uh, skilled thing you have to actually do to be able to translate it. And if you could translate it. So well, is there a reason? Is it because that you're very passionate with it that you don't try to like monetize it, or is it because of the fact that you've paid for it? 
I don't know. It's again, I don't like to use the word native uh, my own level as well. Like, yes, you could say I'm technically Japanese. Uh, I do have the EQ uh, that was 2008, and I do have the English certification of the EQ as well. I don't know why, other than when I naturalized as Japanese, now I have the opposite problem. Do you speak English? Yes, I'm native. Well, prove it. Fine, I'll take your test. So, that, yeah, it was it was a waste, but whatever. It, it served the purpose. And uh, now the thing though is my translation history is pretty rocky because I didn't know the language coming over here, and I was very quickly thrown into a role where I had to translate. And a lot of it was technical documentation, especially at Hitachi. It was a lot of tech documentation. At the time, they were working on uh, 3G networks at the time, or working towards 3G, which is now way in the past now. But uh, there were a lot of old uh, books and documents from uh, on broadcast towers and things. And trying to find the original author, because it, engineers can't write their own native language worth a damn anyway. So hmm. it, it's, it's just as bad as in English as it is in Japanese. Like, the engineers, they're just terrible at their own language. They can't c- express themselves. So you're trying to translate things that are not very well written, and you're not that good at the language. It's just a nightmare. So I says, okay, can I at least talk to the guy that wrote this originally? Like, can we find him anywhere? Oh, he died 10 years ago. Oh, great. Now what? So <laughs> What a challenge there. Jeez. So we, we did get through it eventually, and through just brutal force of years and years and years of doing this stuff, it got better. I still tend to have a bit of a technical guide type of translation, a very cold type of a methodical a translation at times. However, uh, when it's something it's passionate about, I usually go through things in many passes. Like, I'll do it once for the literal translation. I'll just do it once. Okay, that's literally what they say. Then I got to go through the whole thing again, and I say, okay, now, how would that sound to a native speaker in English? Like, what would I say that would give the same feeling? And I, at first, I didn't want to do that, because it's not what it says in Japanese, but it's what it might be understood better as in English. But then you get detractors and people saying, oh, that's not what it says. Like, yeah, but you won't understand it like if you said it like that. So eventually I just kind of had to let that go and just said, okay, well, here's a very loose interpretation. I took some creative liberties with this, so it makes sense. Here you go. And that works okay. Like, I mean, I had to do that with a few things as well. Uh, even ones I translated to Japanese, I don't have as much confidence going to Japanese as I do to English. Uh, the only one I did was actually, it wasn't really professional. It was but it wasn't. It was kind of like a joke thing that kind of blew up too far. Um, there was a Spanish DR movie years ago. Okay, La Maquina de Bailar. I remember that. Okay, yeah. Right. I I trans. I made the subtitles in Japanese. Oh, and really? okay. Yeah, it's it was hard because it's not Mexican Spanish. It's Spanish Spanish. Yeah. And uh, the the people that I do do know that can speak it or understand it, uh, it's really a bad movie. And like uh, this this is just terrible. Uh, but, poster for uh, it. I remember there was a poster. All Spanish people. There is. Uh, yeah, there's okay. still that's that's what it is. Okay. Yeah, it, it's pretty bad. Like, and Konami okayed this really like that. So like, have you have you ever seen the movie? Do you know it exists? And like that because there was talk at the time of DDR movie they were making and it's, oh we've got a deal going and there's still nothing on that yet. Uh, but yeah, the old one there. Oh, we can dig that up. You want to see what happened the last time you tried a movie? So. Uh, I translated it, and it's it's pretty. Yeah, it was such a movie. All that. It's. Um, I'm not positive that all of it makes perfect sense, but never does. Uh, but going back to English as well, I, I'm perfectly fine being an interpreter more than a translator. I'm much better at being an interpreter in person than I am translating because I usually take a long time to translate these things. An so, interpreter, I can get away with certain things on the fly at the moment. So it's kind of that. It's just it's just exhausting after a while. Like yeah. there is a rule. Like every 50 minutes, take a 10 minute break. I do believe that is necessary. At first, I didn't think that was that made little 
lot of sense, but you do. Your brain will start to get scrambled after mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff, especially if it's technical or detailed, or it's a contract dispute, or it's about money, and you have to be right. So a lot right. of pressure on that one. I still do that to this day. I do contract disputes, and I do things for my clients as well when they have uh, conflicts, I should say, with their native staff or other people that only speak English. So that's my fun. That's That, that really does sound interesting. So you were a man of, of, of many hats. You, you spent a lot of time to bring go from you know computer science you know and then moving into uh, I think mm. you, you taught English as well right right that's yeah, it I do I do have a very mathematical mind to about everything as well I do a lot of things that the jack of all trades master of none but better than a master of one I believe is the quote uh, be, just because I what I'm asked to do and the needs are very so wildly like all the time like what I might be asked to do one day to the next is just crazy so right I got to be ready to do jump and do many things at once. If I pigeonhole myself too much, I can't get away with that. Especially when I run my own business, and I got to right. be able to do all of these different things. Uh, translation interpretation is a part of it. Um, I try not to. I do write down in my business profile that I can do English teaching, but I don't do that because it's just it's not that. Oh, I'm beyond this now. I think mean, there is kind of a feeling like that. There is a negative connotation to being like an English teacher, especially when you're older and if you've been have that much experience. I don't mind tutoring people, but I usually I teach I teach courses. Seminars, so to speak. Like there's one that I used to be with a, well, a company, and they do rhythmic classes, which is basically movement and music for children. So it's like developing senses of rhythm and patterns, as well as uh, vocalization and pitch and music, in term as well as physical education to a, little, a limited degree. So it's a very, it's a kind of a buzzword, but it's a very profitable industry, mm-hmm. uh, especially here in Asia. But it's they've been trying to take off overseas, but it uses a, a, a few different methods. Thank you for that. I, I, I what I, I wanted to go ahead and talk a little bit about the the business aspect of it being okay. able to pivot your your passion to your um back towards what you want to do i i do find that your analytical you know mindset you know it helps you to stay focused because i definitely think that's a challenge for most people especially it, do, it does because partially of my personality as well i tend to be extremely focused for very limited time front and time frames okay i can do the same thing for a long time like casually i can focus really intently on something for a, a little while but i can't focus on the same thing forever like the whole time i just can't do that so i do moving from topic to topic or at least if it's the same thing project to project uh, now and then is something that's much needed for me and i've got many responsibilities not just at work but at home as well with kids and yes. life and everything else so being able to jump around back and forth is something i'm used to it does make me a bit scatterbrained at the time but um i can't just focus on one thing at a time and i think that kind of is important an important trait in an entrepreneur uh, because it's not just one aspect there's many different aspects and it's not just what you do for the business. It's actually the business itself. Um, I still haven't filed. Um, well, I filed my company taxes for the year end already. I haven't filed my personal ones, which is related to my business as well. So I do need to get on that. <laughs> I just don't have any time to run down to the tax office and let them take all my money. But uh, but you do need to have an analytical mind to set up the business in the first place because you've got to think about things in a different way. Like, okay, I can do this. Is that a business? How so? Okay, who are my clients? Where am I getting my money from? Mm-hmm. What kind of schedule am I looking at? What kind of hours. Uh, all of this needs to be thought about. And then there's all the different other elements too. Like, okay, as a company, I need to enroll myself in healthcare. All right. I need insurance. Well, not real insurance. That is covered health insurance like that. I don't need anything on my own business as long as I register it as being in my house, but I own my house. So I do actually pay on that anyway. Um, there's a lot of different elements to take care of. And the laws are different between America and Japan as well. So what I have to submit is 
not the same as what somebody in another country would have to do. Uh, but there are some common elements. I mean, you do it logically, it's the same stuff, but uh, bureaucratically, it's different. You might have to do things in a different way or get different papers or different permissions in order to do things. Um, registering the business actually wasn't that bad for me as well. I think it costs something like six, $700 in stamps, and they give you those really expensive stamps you put on one piece of paper, and mm. I can't believe a stamp costs $500 in one go. Um, but like a postage stamp? It is, it's literally a postage stamp. You get one, it's like $500. Boom. As well, 100 100 Hand in it. There it is. And it says, okay, here's your business. Well, it's not literally that. They do a four-day review process, but you have to give your business declaration, which is, what am I going to do? What's the name of this company? Well, saying that you're going to uphold the laws, uh, the labor laws of the country, anything like that, uh, where your company is located, the capital, all of that other stuff. Um, that's not too hard. Like, if you can look it up, there's a lot of this information online, but it did take me quite a while. So one of the other things I do for my business, actually, is helping people start up businesses, too, because I've already been through all of this. So, And uh, to, to relate to that, my wife says she's got another business idea based on my business as well. It's like, why don't you help people naturalize as Japanese? Because that's a nightmare process. Yeah, I was, I was thinking, I was like, you could just do that. You could, wow, you could totally I, do that. I do have people that have asked about that, too. And I said, well, how much are you going to charge for that? And says, oh, I could... I'll charge him. Um, I'll charge him a hundred thousand yen at least, like that, because that's about how much it costs to do it yourself. If you can do it perfectly, and you, I couldn't do it. I don't want to. Would you would you actually take advantage of some of the teaching tools that are online now, like Teachable, or uh, maybe writing a book about it and then and then offering. Well, the problem is like that. That's based on a set of rules type of thing. The thing with naturalization in particular is, is that it's a case by case basis. I mean, your history, your experiences, well, not so much your experience, but your past and anything that you've done uh, has to come into play whenever you apply. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of different ways to interpret this. There's what, there's, looking, there's what they're looking for, and there's what you can say to try and minimize the amount of work you're going to put on yourself as well. There's a very fine balancing act going on. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't want to say too much because the more you say, the more you have to prove. And I found that out the hard way for some things too. So. Wow. The, the more you can shut your mouth, the better, but there's some things you can't hide behind, and you're going to be, have to be able to explain it and cover it up. Um, also, the problem is you're going to have to be running all around the country to all sorts of different offices to get papers from everywhere just to satisfy them, and that won't be enough because they're going to do, launch their own investigations into your family, your employer, everybody around you. Uh, your privacy goes out the window, and there are some rather personal parts of that um, mm. process as well. Some people will drop out just because of that, because they have to deal with people, relatives, and things that they just can't bring themselves to do with anyone. It's just, really? I just can't do it. Wow. Uh, especially in the case of like a divorce or anything like that, mm -hmm. you will need papers from them as well, and you may not be on the best terms. And really? wow. why do they have to cooperate with you? So you can go around their back. You can get permission to get the papers without their permission. It's a very ugly process when it goes that way, though. So... Um, I just say it's different on a case-by-case -case basis. My part was actually relatively complex. I needed one of pretty much every paper they could ask for, uh, just because at the time I applied, I was a permanent resident, so that helped in some parts. But the rest of it, I had a house in my name already, which you, it's not very common, not as a foreign resident there. You don't, you don't own land in a house as a foreigner in, in Japan. That's just... It's not impossible, but improbable. Right. Right. Uh, then there's my wife's aspect, too. She has a bunch of other holdings and financial-related uh, things that all needed to be declared and um, 
and proven as well as shown and all sorts of tracing of finances. And I'm not going to get into the stream because a lot of that's pretty personal. Of course. Um, There are some professional ones I needed to get uh, list my resume and the places I worked and other things like that. And they were approaching some of my past employers as well. I need tax records of my past employer, which I had no legal right to get, but the legal office gave me the right to get that, which was very nasty because I had to go beyond behind the backs of my past employers and say, I'm getting your tax papers. Wow. And they say, you don't have a right to get that. It says, I already have them. Sorry. So <laughs> they were not happy. They were not happy at all because uh, I was still kind of working with them at the time. And I said, look, I need your tax records for the last year. They need it at the legal office and say, you don't have a right to our company's tax records like that. So I said, I need it. And they said, I need it. So I went back and I explained the situation. I said, okay, here's a form. And they gave me like a permission form. It's basically like, you are to give this guy these documents, no questions asked. You will do this. This is the legal office signed like that. So wow. it's like, okay, I'll give this to the office. I have no idea what they're going to do. And they took a look at it. They passed it to another guy. They look at it. Okay, here you go. And that's it. So the problem is when you take papers from another company like that, or even like things from a past relationship, like if you're divorced or things like that, they do notify the person or the company saying, Hey, somebody just took copies of your records. I thought you should know that. So, it's like a notification on your phone. <laughs> well, they wouldn't, so they wouldn't know. This is Japan. They wouldn't do that. They fax it to you. <laughs> wow. Yeah, they still use yeah, fax machines. Right. here. They still use it. It's just painful. They still use floppy disks that some of my clients is just painful. Uh, Windows oh, ME, Windows 98, wow. it just goes on and on and on. Windows 98, is that even security? Yep. What's security? Secure? <laughs> it, it's, <laughs> it's not connected to the internet. It's an independent system. It's just used for very localized type of things. Oh, oh okay. Because that doesn't even sound safe at all. Like, oh, I, no, no. It, never. <laughs> I don't think you can use it. If you put XP on the internet now, it won't let you do anything because uh, you can't get to like HTTP sites anymore. It's HTTPS, but by default, it's not enabled. So Right. No, I'm talking about like the arcade, for example. Like, oh, arcade. arcade. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, arcade. <laughs> well, arcade is another story. Like, Konami yeah. has, uh, I better not relay some of these stories, actually. But, yeah, they've had their own share of um, mishaps and misfortune and all sorts of fun. <laughs> yeah, more. the more you know, the more that you see inside the nest, um, the crazier it gets. And it's not always the fault of the artists or the creative people behind the scenes as well. It's... It, some of it lies at the top, too. Some of it is hereditary, and some of it is uh, it's just general. That's the way it is. It's the uh, status quo type of thing, and they can't change it, or things are too established in order to change things. They see the storm coming, and there's nothing they can do about, about it. Wow. <sighs> so... <laughs> so- well, speaking about store, because it's like so we're over in uh, the you know right now we're in the era like a lot of people are worried about the uh, coronavirus that's going on, and in the states everybody I it's, I don't think it's as bad, but I had another interview where uh, someone was had to stop their state was they were ordering parts from from uh, from, from Alibaba and all of their parts are basically just um, postponed for like until, like. April or something, and somebody else, mm. they, they can't work because of the fact that everybody wants to work remotely now because they're afraid because they work in the school in Asia. Right. So, uh, I'm, I'm asking you, like, you know, how is, is it, is there, are there any big threats to the, um, to, I guess, the people around you, or how did you feel about, like, is, is it even bothering you at all, you know? I know that there's masks. Well, there are people in masks. I mean, there was a panic on buying those face masks as well, especially as 
All right, welcome back. And so, basically, the uh, this this week's uh, we have a lot of things to talk about. Um, so I spent a lot of time um, working on trying to come up with more content and that are that's catered that's catered towards what's going on right now. I mean, I know a lot of people are worried about the future of the planet. You know, what's going on in America. Um, there's a lot of people having to work from home remotely. Um, the coronavirus is coming up with an unknown future, you know, where we don't know where we're going to basically have to, you know, if we're going to be working remotely indefinitely or we're going to be working remotely until the, the winter time. Um, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of people, you know, it's, it's, it's important. It's really important to really pay attention to what's going on. And I, I want to basically take a minute to actually let people know that they should um, look at another interview. There's another uh, uh, podcast uh, by Rami Malek. He is the host, or the, he's one of the stars on the show. It's called Blackout. It's pretty to check it out. It was basically about, <laughs> it's so weird, because it came out, I think, sometime over the summer. And it was like about this guy in Pennsylvania somewhere, like all the power goes out. Nobody knows what's going on. The, the government doesn't know what's going on. All the traffic, everything is locked up. And then uh, Rami Malek's character in the, in the show, and it has like a radio show, and he's able to like let people know what's going on because he's the only one that's actually able to contact people. And like you see how things turn for the, you know, well, squatch it. It's pretty great. It's so weird. It's happened like, like not even like six, seven months, maybe even eight months ago, back in the summertime. And, you know, I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not really a person that wants to be pessimistic. I'm, I'm always looking for optimism. I feel like everything kind of like happens for a reason, for a reason, you know, like we need, we need to be able to always think about things in the, in a bigger light. You know, we're like, because if, if we don't, if we can't think that way, we let like our minds run rampant. So it's best to always stay positive. And as entrepreneurs, we're always looking to go ahead and find ways to um, stay confident, stay positive, um, live our lives, you know, with, you know, ha having, you know, living the, the best day, you know, try, we, I always try to live the life to the fullest, you know. Every day, you, you should be happy. You're alive, breathing, taking, you know, have, you know, talk to your family, talk to your friends, you know, try to give the most and the best that you possibly can give, and you know, just, just hang in there, you know. And these things are, yeah, you know, I, I really believe like things like this happens in cycles, you know. There's always going to be ups and downs. Uh, without, uh, there's a saying that you know, there's no crest without a trough, which is basically, you know, how cycles happen. And you can't really, you know, expect up without down, you know. So just just hang in there. I think things are going to be looking great for us in the future. Now, uh, with this podcast, I mean, with this uh, interview, uh, we're, we're continuing with our talk with Aaron about um, pretty much the how he got into doing it on 100 Yen um, talk. 100 yen movie if you want to check it out i think it's on vimeo that's where i actually found this if you check out vimeo you can rent it or download it over there and watch the whole thing now if you don't download it from vimeo you won't get the, the um you won't be able to see the whole thing that's what aaron talks about in the show that you know that it's half in japanese happening so if you don't speak japanese you will have a hard time you know keeping up with the, with the show you'll only be able to listen to half of it if you speak english um 
So with that, we're gonna just head on out to the uh, interview, and when we, when we get back, we're gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit more about um, a little bit more about after post that interview. So stay tuned. When I put a record, I'm, I don't want to basically cut you off, but I, I mean, like, before the record, just like I wanted to just, I was talking more about like the whole coming over to Japan and like mm, looking for, for work sure. and stuff. And then I remember you, you said something about leaving a job and then you you started working for yourself and then that yeah. the whole problem about right. looking for that. That I think more entrepreneurs need to hear that because that, to, to hear that struggle okay, so, is so, important. So later when you edit this, you can cut out most of the rest of this, just keep the entrepreneur stuff, keep it in one nice package. There, so. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's like little beeps and stuff and, and you have the Rubik's oh, that were no, put you, together. You cut this however you need. This, this, you're going to have to cut this interview a lot probably anyway. Yeah. Um, the, starting up your own business, uh, the thing is that first thing you need is a skill. First, you need to, you need a skill, something that you can do that people want. Mm-hmm. Okay, say I can solve Rubik's cube. I can't make a business doing that. So right, right. So, but things like translation, IT work, things like that, especially in a bilingual environment, mm-hmm. that's that's unique to me. Especially when I'm the one that's constantly being asked to do it. Right. So there's a need for it. You can establish that there's a need for it, and if it's more than one company, if you've got other people asking. For you to do that, that's a basis. That's a strong basis right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can start on your own. Now you don't have to go to register a business first if you want. You can sort of test the waters and ask mm-hmm. about it. Now a lot. The problem is, as an employer, you usually change to that employer. You're not allowed to work for anybody else. You're not allowed to do it without going through your company. And if they're a competitor, that's not going to happen anyway. And even if it can happen, you're not going to see any of the profits or dividends from that. Now, if your salary is really high, you may not care about that, but um, in most cases, that's not going to be the case. Mm-hmm. So basically, once you establish that there's a need for what you can do, your skills, you have to market yourself. You have to you have to be the person that has to say, okay, this is what I do now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to do it for you, but I'm not going to be under your control. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest jump right there. To be able to go from another company to yourself is a big jump. All right. Uh, not everybody's going to be on board at first or ever some cases like that. They're going to say, oh, you're leaving us? Bye. Like that. You're not needed. Wow. Uh, and that can be true. Remember, going back to your need, can you provide something that they need? If you're truly needed, they're going to come back to you. So they're going to try or they're going to try somebody else and everybody's going to fail and then they're going to come running back to you, which has happened before too. Uh, so – Going out on your own, it is potentially scary because you don't have that base of a company anymore. You lo- you've lost your income. You hopefully have a nest egg. In my case, I probably didn't. Um, but uh, getting on board first, or you talk to them first before you just jump sit, before you cut all ties and be violent and things like that. Say, okay, um, in my case, I was raising two kids, and so I needed time off like that, especially when my wife is working like crazy shifts. She has 24-hour shifts sometimes because, well, public servant. <clears throat> And uh, so in that case, they kind of understood and said, okay, I'm going to do this. Let's see if we can do these hours. Now, this is not enough for a full-time position. How about we just make a loose contract? Okay, 
get those contracts. Now I can form them into my company as well. That's another route you can do, which I actually have done as well. And based on the legal system of this country, when you actually establish a business, you have to fill out something called the blue paper. And I think it's called something similar in other countries too. I had a hard time understanding what it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically now, years later, what I understand it is, it's basically a declaration of where you're going to get your income from or who your customers are supposed to be or what your target market is. Mm -hmm. Like you say, oh, I teach English. Okay, where, who, how? Like that, like that all has to be answered. And part of that, like the uh, location, the, in, the, co- the clients and all that, that has to be declared at some point. Now, when you're establishing a business, you won't have that information. You just kind of need a rough basis. Like, oh, I'm going to get it from, uh, from the uh, AI sector, or I'm going to get something from, uh, the business consulting market. I'm going to do that between various IT sectors and things like that. So that sort of information is important, but that's bureaucratic. So I don't want to get too much into that. But in general, you do want to know that information. You want to know where you're going to get your money from, from who and how type of thing like that. And if you're doing all the math in your head, you don't need to worry about all the details with that. Just kind of know what you're getting and know what the market rate is for that. So go Googling, go search for what people make in that market if they're doing it on their own, like what they charge Mm -hmm. and then work out a, work out a multiple of that for your own salary as well. Because uh, you don't want to be making less than you would if you were working as an employee, too. You do want to say that there's benefit to your time to you doing that. You have a brand value like that. There is a limit to And uh, for my case in translation, I put a very clause, uh, a clause in there that some people thought was silly, but it's very true, very real. Um, if you ask me at like 1 a.m. to finish something for 7 a.m., you're going to pay through the nose for that. I have, I'm going to double and even triple the rates for like what I do. If you ask me for something like last minute like that, right. I could do it, but you're going to pay for it. And uh, one thing that people do quote, and I do quote as well, it's not mine, but it's the Kinko's triangle. I don't know if you know this one there. No. Um, it used to be well known. It was uh, price, quality, time as a triangle, right? Price, quality, time. Mm-hmm. Pick two. You can only have two. The third one has to suffer. So you can have something fast, and you can have it uh, good quality, but it's going to cost you a lot. You can have it fast, and it's going to be cheap, but it's going to look like crap. Or you can have it cheap, and you can have it look really high quality, but it's going to take a long time. So you can only have so two. That, that one, yeah, you can only get two. A lot of people want three. You can't have three. Uh, depending on your sector or your industry, that can be a very nice pillar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't always apply, but if especially in the service industry or something where you're producing something for somebody mm-hmm. as a service, then, yeah, that comes into play, especially when I do uh, my systems work, IT work. Uh, illustrations as well. I'm not an artist. I can manage Illustrator and desktop publishing, I guess, would be a better a better term for it for what I do because some people want like a ballet and musical programs, things like that. They want the brochures and all that done. But I can do all of that. I'm not an artist, but if you give me all the materials that I need, then yes, it can be, I can arrange that all for you. So that's one thing I do as well. Uh, that's again, that's the Kinko's triangle there. Cause they'll give it to me one day and say, Oh, it'll all be done today. Like, no, that's not all happening today. The, this hasn't even been checked yet. This hasn't been decided. Nobody knows what's happening. So yeah, uh, communication, um, that's a huge problem. Communication, as an entrepreneur especially, but even if within a company, communication can make or break company. You need to be in contact or you need to be contactable with all of your clients. Uh, it's not always friendly, especially when people, especially in this country, have things like phone complexes, which means that they've been harassed so much by micromanaging managers that they just can't answer phones anymore. Mm. Um, that's a real thing. That's It's not called that in some other countries, but... 
yeah, the, there is a level of uh, micromanagement and harassment and bullying, bullying and uh, bad management in general, which can break employees. That can make it hard for them to branch out on their own, like, oh, I, I can't take this anymore. Now I'm going to do it my own. But you're already broken from your past experiences. Like, that's not a good thing either. You might need to recuperate from that, take some time off. But, uh, yeah, communication for sure is a big thing. Uh, talking with your other clients and uh, your other potential clients, I should say. You do want to talk to them before you make the big jump as well like that and say, okay, I'm thinking of doing this. What do you think of this? Mm-hmm. Like that. Um, because you can just break all connections and say, I hate you. Like, I'm breaking off. By the way, now you can pay me. Unless you're in such a strong position that you can get away with that, I would advise against that mm-hmm. um, because it's far too often it just falls apart. Like Even if you're the only one that can do the service, they're not going to ask you. Right. And I've seen that happen before. Some very egotistical, very maniacal um, entrepreneurs that start up with the best of intentions, but the wrong methods. They just went all out in the wrong, the wrong front. Um, that is, um, so, so with, with that being said, do you feel that, uh, that this is actually like a, a, a place that somebody that could, that could start? Like basically in America, there's a big influx of like, people trying to become entrepreneurs or believe they can become entrepreneurs. And the idea behind it is is more about, like, the freedom and the, the fame. But uh, would, you, would, you, would you basically say that the fame is not necessarily – not the fame, but more like the – how would I basically put this? You had a, you had a point there with freedom. You had a point uh, because you're not chained to one company 24-7. And for someone like me who's very scatterbrained in the sense that I'm always going all over the place, mm-hmm. uh, that is quite important because I do find myself trapped. I find myself going a bit flaky whenever I'm on one thing for too long. Mm-hmm. Um, glory, there's not a whole lot to be had unless you turn out to be a mega corporation, which is in most cases, let's face it, it's not going to happen. Um it is, it's more about being in control of your own life mm-hmm. as well. So I think control is a better word for it rather right. than fame. Well, uh, well, fame is because of the fact that here in America, the way that they talk about entrepreneur, I, I don't know if you know about, if you're in the social media spectrum, there's a lot of um, uh, like podcasters and, and YouTubers that talk about it in the wrong sense, mainly the uh, – Mainly in the sense of that, you, you know, you're going to be flying around and you're going to be able to kind of like just live on a yacht or something. And okay. I'm more and, and with and with the business I'm basically building up is I want to show people the real deal, how things can be put together by piece by piece. And actually, I don't know why I hear myself. Basically, trying to find a way to get the the, the sense that you can get this stuff done if you put enough work into it and and then the whole uh, and then whatever you have problems about like the roughing out the edges you know yeah, yeah, marketing stuff, but yeah it's that can all be happen so the so you 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 basically touched on a lot of those senses right there one thing I wanted one thing I say I wanted to bring up was the marketing since that you you know you use Facebook as yes. a way of informing you don't um and use twitter um if what would be if you could have like another technology added to this which one would that be in the united states i think linkedin is a very uh, very uh, meaningful site to use very con- a very powerful connection there uh, in my case it's very unique because i already had an established base before i started the business i mean there is the air in japan the site and i do get some work very loosely through people i met through that community and the uh, thousands literally thousands of people over the years but um 
for my case, when starting a business, if I establish the market first, I already have clients. I already have clients uh, because I'm using my past employers. Mm -hmm. uh, now, to branch out from that, you can go for your clients' clients, your the ones that they were working with before. That's a mm -hmm. bit underhanded. you got to be yeah. careful with that. Okay. Uh, a few other things are expositions, uh, show, trade shows, things like that. Mm -hmm. It sometimes is a total miss. It's a strikeout, but... It is very good for building relationships at some times, any sort of those seminars or events. Mm. Uh, those are good social type of uh, events you can use to mm. build some networks that way. Uh, doing work for people gets you only so far. Advertising, I'm not sure if that, how effective that is, especially on things like Facebook and Twitter. That There's only so much you can do. If you're already established, that's another story like that. But you need experience. Exposure in that case. And so you wouldn't use advertising or marketing? Like on I Facebook would use or advertising and marketing depending on what you're trying to do. Uh, the thing is, though, if before you even get in there, you should have a rough base on the people you want to target first. Mm -hmm. Like you should know, like if I'm working for a printing company and I know that I can provide the best type of roll printing for steel or some other bizarre thing like that that maybe there's a market for, you know the industries that are demanding that. You know who to approach first. So you might want to get into that industry. Maybe there's a, well, as an example, maybe a seminar for those things like building contractors, mm -hmm. or you want to get into a, or a group uh, network discussion or anything like that involving those type of people in those industries, uh, you want to branch out directly there. You want to approach that industry. Mm -hmm. uh, just advertising generally, anybody can see that. I, other than retail, I don't see how that's beneficial unless it's like a viral marketing. You want to use that. But again, that's more retail or anything commercial like that for a product or uh, some limited service. But even that, it, it has a tainted opinion uh, to some degree as well. Like viral marketing is too much in your face for some things like that. The effectiveness of that varies depending on your audience. Mm -hmm. Some people are totally turned off by that. Some mm -hmm. people might, depending on the ad, might get a thrill from it, might be okay. But it's it's hard to say. Without, the, without knowing exactly what you're trying to do, what you're trying to sell or market like that, it could be beneficial. But um, you want to, what you want to do, you want to get exposure and the problem is with the big sites here, like you're just a blip on Facebook's radar if you advertise mm -hmm. that way. You're just a blip if you get like an ad and put it on YouTube. Well, no, if you can get it on YouTube, that's actually pretty big. But uh, so the, the, the reason why I asked that because like, you know, for me, I, we could talk about my thing. So basically, I spend a lot of time working in like web development, working for right. uh, like like big for, like, like cable companies and banks. But I, right. I, I broke off and I started doing these, um, these contracts which were – much they were, they were less work because you'd have to work on an entire project like three like three or four projects a whole week. You worked on one project for six months, and you were, right. and because you know, and I want to be able to take that information and maybe like break on like finding out ways to 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 transfer that into my own like personal business. Meaning I can um I could use the the things I've learned as a way of marketing myself. So like you know, running the courses online or sharing that information with other. Uh, people who want to be developers and LinkedIn helps with that, but mm. the, I think that one thing that's really great is the communicate the collaboration. Like so, being able to talk to people who are already established entrepreneurship, and uh, you're, um, you are you're one of the uh, in, in the guests I basically spoke to that actually um, had like a similar uh, like background. Where like in the IT field, many people don't really do. A lot of people have like education. Um, uh, like um, teaching or music or even like um, well, like personal it, like development. 
Well, education is a valid sector. There's a lot to be done with that sector as well, and especially depending on the region or country as well, there's a lot to be done on that. Um, just a second. Before I answer this question, can I actually go up and get my son lunch? Because oh, it's actually getting sure. late right now. If you, if you, if you, if you want to, are you, are you okay? Because I, I don't, I know we're over time. Oh, I'm, I'm okay. Just let me okay. heat up the rice and get it sure. ready for him here. So I'll be back in a minute over here. Sure. Just a second. All right. So I guess that's the end. If, uh, there, if you want to listen to the full, you know, uncut version of this uh, pie, uh, this interview, I will be leaving it up on you, uh, YouTube. That's why I decided to actually leave it where I'll have the full uncut uh, YouTube video, uh, YouTube uh, interview up on YouTube, and um, hopefully I'll be able to add a little bit of um, contact to the to the description, so that way that people would be able to. Be able to search, can read through the description to see if there's anything that's actually interesting for them to listen to. Uh, if there's anything specifically that you want me to kind of like look for, if you're interested in listening to a specific particular person, if you want to talk to me, if you want to be able to handle, if you want me to, you know, find out more about anything specific about entrepreneurship, building a business, on, online um, businesses, advertising, if you, anything you actually want, you just let me know in the comments and I'll, uh, I'll see if I can get in touch with people with it, you know. And with that, uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. You know, thank you so much for listening and paying attention to the podcast for as much of the time as you basically have been. You know, email list, email, anybody from the email listing, thank you. To Twitter feed, I thank you very much. I really appreciate the the the, the, uh, the output, the feedback you give to me. Um, I hope that I can get more um valuable information for you so you can actually um you can use it in your own business i mean i think that we're all in this together and we don't necessarily have like a you know like a you know a, a textbook way we have to write our own textbook you know and i think that it's just for me it's kind of fun being able to you know have to come up with information and content building things out studying researching it's great and being able to share that with you is even better. So uh, with that, uh, thank you a lot. And I'll see you guys in the uh, next episode. John. actually jump in after me brother i must say i'm touched i've got to admit i'm a bit of a scaredy cat i know that better than anyone but with egat's latest invention i knew i could finally execute my plan you were always the fastest and bravest brother but you weren't the smartest and the smartest always win now it's time for a new era an era of luigi it's luigi time